You're listening to episode 12 of the Animation in Progress podcast featuring Devils, Angels and Dating. My name's Michael Kaywood and this is going to be part two of the conversation with Ryan Hagen about the animation process on the film. Don't forget that if you're looking for any information about the project, then go to devilsangelsanddating.com and we'd also love to hear any feedback you have about the podcast, any thoughts and suggestions for future podcasts. Please get in touch. Drop me an email. quite a bit we managed to get the characters rigged and all that kind of stuff and then you've come back on and yeah i've only i've only worked on maybe three shots yeah and now you've started animating uh i'm right i'm looking at your scenes and they're all devil scenes funnily enough <laughs> yeah yeah ironically yeah which 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 didn't really bother me i i think he was the one i felt more most drawn to i guess um out of all of the shorts uh or all, all of the characters sorry you know, when you when you first said, "Oh, I got a devil shot for you," I was like, "Well, sweet, send it. I'm ready." Mm-hmm. You know, I had I already had a preconceived idea of how I thought he should be. I saw him as kind of like uh, he's super old, right? Uh, well, no, I've kind of gone the other way. I've I've assumed that he's this he's basically a child. But I mean, he acts like he has the 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 actions and the the the, the mindset of an of a child, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I assume that somehow or another he's been in hell for some time. But in the grand scheme of him, things, he's an innocent. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think there, I, I had that going. I, I thought he would be, like, extremely smart, like a wise guy. But this is a whole new situation for him. Mm. So it was like I had to give him that childlike quality where everything's like, you know, you know, I'm like bringing a four-year-old to preschool. I have a lot of experience with that, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then, um, uh, but he's also got that, he's not stupid, you know, he's mm-hmm. not, he's not, he's not a daft devil. He, mm-hmm. He's, he's been around, but he, this is new to him. So he's got to have that. He's, and he's adventurous a little bit too, because he's willing to try things that, you know, maybe he shouldn't, he thinks, but he's willing to go and and try things. And, and he's a little bit, um, he's got that, that bit to him where he's like, uh, he's a little evil, so he really doesn't care if bad things happen from trying these things, you know? Oh, no, I mean, theoretically, he, I tend to think of him as both innocent and a good guy, really. Okay. But that somehow or another... It's a bit like a scorpion can't resist biting you. And, and that when he's pushed, that's, he'll do something evil just because it's kind of in his DNA. That's that's a much more clever way of putting it. I, I do like that. Because um, actually one of the shots that Ryan worked on ultimately was the one where he's firing the wand where he has to do the golem-like skittish splitting between evil and good. Yes. And that came off really well. In fact, yeah. that's one of, uh, one, hang on, the, jumping back a little bit, one of the first shots you were given was just polishing off someone else's shot that wasn't quite finished yet. Right, right, right. And what I really marveled at at that point was that that shot was already, yeah, pretty good, um, but uh, it just didn't have the polish. 
And Ryan jumped in there and kind of plussed it like 150%. <laughs> and Thank you, sir. This cute little shop just had all this personality and life to it. It was really nice. Um, and I, and I was, had a lot of respect for the fact as well that he took over somebody else's shot, which is a very mature thing to do. Well, coming in from television, shots get pushed on to people. So, I mean, I was, I was used to that type of thing. I was used to, and I'm not really afraid of, of uh, going in and, and moving other people's keys around. I think it's daunting, though, because it's like it's it's one of those things where not everybody animates the same. No, you know, you know, it's not right or wrong. However you do it, I I really don't care how you animate as long as it looks good. Mm. But when you go into people that have different workflows that, you know, I I like to layer things and I like to use the step, the step method. Um, I've I've been getting more into the layered method for like acting and stuff, um, but for body mechanics, it's it's good for. I like to use the stepped method, but it's also hard. The shot gets to that point; it's kind of hard to tell if they've moved, you know, offsetted keys and do th- done things like that. It's hard to tell how they, what their thought process was, do you know, in doing things. I mean, you can watch the shot over and over and over and, and try and get an idea of what their thinking was behind it. Um, and I didn't really have a whole lot of communication with with the guy who who worked on it. No, before. see, frequently what happens is if somebody does stuff on a shot, it's because they're too busy or or something right. like that, and they stop being active on the on the website. So you right. don't get that chance to really have a discussion with them. But the best you can do is kind of read through their thread and right. what was that they said as they went along. And the fingers crossed, they wrote enough notes. And that is what I did. I read over that, that thread like umpteen million times. I mean, I was watching the animation on, on one, I have a big monitor, thankfully. I was watching the animation on one side and had your notes and, and the thread up on the other side. And I was just like, you know, I had that playing constantly as I'm reading and I'm trying to understand what you were saying to him and what his thought process was for that shot. And But at the end of the day, when you open that Maya file up, it's like reverse engineering everything, isn't it? Right, you right, yeah, yeah. Do that. Why is the keys on this instead of this? Why is right. it doing that? Uh, I wouldn't have done it that way. How do I fix that? You know, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, it, it's not your shot. Mm. I mean... So it's you're always going to be like, oh, why did he do it that way? Or you could have done it better if you did it this way. Mm. But um, I, I just try to tell myself, who cares? Um, just do what you got to yeah. do. You got to do it the way you got yeah. to do it. And yeah. I mean, I'm finding myself actually a lot of the things I, I spend my time on at the moment is I go through find shots that have been left. Um, there's always going to be a few as you go along. Right. You can nag people and ask them if they're going to pick it up later, but if they don't get the chance, then ultimately I have to make a call on it. And especially the last few weeks, um, I've just been looking at scenes, opening them up, and you kind of have to make a call. Is this shot progressed enough that it's, there's value in it to give to the next person and then they have to do all of this reverse engineering? Or right. is it not if advanced enough and it would be better to just give them a, a blank slate to start from? Yeah, just um, give them the layout shot. Yeah, sometimes you look at things and you think, oh, this is good. I can give this to the next guy. But then if you find that they've put all the keys on the wrong things or there's some bug in it, you can't work out how they've solved and sometimes it's just easy to go back to the blank slate again and give them an empty shot ready to start from the beginning. Because most animators, as a rule, would rather start from a completely fresh shot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just easier. <laughs> it is, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so no, I mean, generally I'll, I'll only um, say a shot is really, needs to be carried on from if there's already something of value in there that's right. that's hanging on to. Because it is a shame when someone doesn't quite finish a shot because you often have to take two steps back to keep moving forward sort of thing when you hand it to the next person. They'll right. frequently go backwards before they get a chance to go forwards, and that can be off-putting for somebody yeah. who's just starting on the project. Well, the shot that you, the first shot that I worked on, the one that you gave me where I just worked on it, like pushed it a little bit further, it, it really wasn't that, it wasn't a, a badly animated shot by yeah. any means. Yeah, there was, there was um, a, a lot of stuff in there that was great to use, but it, I mean, I think a lot of it is like when you open up someone else's graph editor, I mean, not that your own isn't a mess to begin with, but to open up somebody else's and try to understand it, it's like, it's, it's just daunting. Mm. So then, you know, I just, what I did was I just opened it up and I said, screw it. If I screw something up, I can always undo or just go back to the, you know, the saved version. Mm. And so I was, you know, I just kind of, like I said, I watched it a million times. I tried to figure out what, what he was trying to get across with the shot. And I mean, it wasn't like a, a super, uh, a super acting, I guess it was, it wasn't like a super difficult shot there wasn't a whole lot of business going on in the shot you know for me to need to fix or push Mm. but i was just trying to get into what the guy that had it before me was thinking which i thought was the hardest part the actual doing the work was the easy part for me um like you you just get in there and you start working um and things tend to happen you know i mean if it's that first step that you take that just kind of gets the ball rolling um if you just go right into it and start doing your work it things tend to happen that are you know after that and it, it becomes easier and easier as as the curves steadily become yours i guess yeah well the next thing you were working on then was um it was actually 370 uh the prod one shot but you still yeah. the flip book yeah 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 that's that's typically how I start my own shots is in flipbook. I mean, it, I don't I don't sit there and draw tons of keys or anything like that. Tons. Of, I just what I'll do, it's like thumbnailing. If I don't have a computer, I'll do it in my 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 notebook or a sketch pad or whatever. But I tend to just thumbnail, and then if I want, I'll go in and add more frames. Or I I mean, it was pretty simple. I just wanted to get the idea of of what was going to happen you know, in the shot so you could see it, see if I was thinking the same thing you were thinking. Mm. Um, and it it's a lot faster than going in and posing 3D characters. So I highly recommend, if you're thumbnailing already, um, it's just like animating your, it's like a flip book. I mean, no, I mean, obviously. <laughs> but it's, it's a... Uh, I find it very freeing as well because yeah. you knock your ideas out so much faster and then you get to see it working. And yeah, it's a really exciting stage if the shot is suited to that kind of thing. Right. And and I wasn't, you know, I don't care about proportions. I'm not Glenn Keane. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean, I'm not and I don't traditionally animate that often anymore, which is a shame. But mm. um, I, I just did it to and I do it to just get a general idea out. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, oh, look at this ease and look at, you know, look at this arc and, you know, I'm not really I'm not looking for that. I'm just saying, how about the general idea? And I think you understood that 
I mean, if you look at the flipbook version and the animated version that I have out there currently, they're they're essentially the same, but obviously there's a lot more work going into the 3D. Mm. That shot actually was kind of... Uh, it's a challenge. It was, because I think it was one of the shots where it was more like he was killing time, and it wasn't the clearest of briefs for it. So, in a way, you had to make up what he was doing. Uh, well, yeah, I had to. I had to think. I had to think. What is he thinking? You know, I mean, like, what happened like five seconds before this? So I kept watching the shots that were right, like before and after this shot, and I really just wanted to know what the hell is he thinking? You know, I mean, that's all that I can, was concerned about. I didn't really care like what he was gonna do when. I just like he's interested in death. He's he's got you know. How do you say this nicely? He's got uh, the hots for yes. for death, you know. <laughs> it was like two things for me. He's thinking he's he's interested in death, you know. She's smoking, but he wants to know what his whole reason for being here is. And they've got their wands, and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. What's his point? You know, what's his what's his purpose? I guess. How do you combine something like he's digging on a, a girl and he's worried about what he's supposed to be doing? How do you combine those two things? You know, it's like, it's almost like a fragment thought, you know, instead of like a one complete thorough thought. You know, he's not just thinking about death. He's also thinking about, it's kind of like a, a, a guy that's meeting a girl that, in, that he's really into, but he's also got, you know, a business cell phone call, which I don't have a cell phone, so I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> But he, uh, but he's got a cell phone call coming in about business in, in five seconds. But he's still really interested in this girl, and he doesn't, you know, he, he's got a job where he could be making, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year. About to call, and he's got this girl that he could see, you know, himself spending the rest of his life with, type of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like it's a it's a big conflict for me, I guess. You know, it's like business and pleasure, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, and, and so that was like, I spent a, a long time thinking, like even before I was looking at the computer, I spent a lot of time thinking about this shot. I think I overcomplicated it a little. Um, I think it should be a lot more subtle. Um, and I think it should be, I mean, obviously the, the ouch part, uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the shot. Um, it's the prod 370 prod wand, the, the reaction of himself poking it. Uh, is what I think is probably the only halfway decent part of it. Everything before that, I think, is needs work. Um, there's too much going on, and it's too broad. Um, I think it's. I think it needs to be toned down quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, just to show that conflict in thought. I think it needs to be a little bit more confused because he's he's fighting both of those. Those desires yeah. yeah it was a shot that was very heavily dependent on what's going on in his head because yeah. uh and it was almost like you had to convey that there were 10 different thoughts well two <laughs> big ones yeah going on in his head simultaneously uh and he didn't have to really do much physically um that the idea in the storyboard was that he might um casually kind of reach down and accidentally poke his finger on the the one but it was a byproduct really of just what was going on in his head so that was right. the main thing to convey right and i think it, yeah it, i i agree and i think i just in my opinion a lot needs to go into the 
the thinking, his thinking in the beginning of the shot. Like you, uh, I think a few of your notes on the shot were, were like spot on. You know, I mean, uh, how he's supposed to be looking at death for a little bit longer because I believe I, I think I just had him kind of turn down and look look down at the wand right away. And I, I think if if I give him a little bit more time to to really he's interested in death. You're not going to want to look away, like, you know, right away. I mean, if I had my wife standing there, Ken, like, I, she, I'm gaga over her, Ken. But then I have this, this guy over here saying, you know, hey, we, we uh, have a position for you at, at uh, <laughs> wherever, X studio. It would be like, well, I want to, I want to, this is my wife, you know, I love her, and but honey, I need a job, you know, it's like, to me, it's that kind of feeling, you know, it's where I've got a job to do, but I, it's way better being mm. looking at you than working, <laughs> you know, you know, I want people to see the shot and be entertained by it. You know, I don't want people to be distracted by something that wasn't done right or um, takes away from the whole story. You know, I was, I was just mostly concerned on just making everything work together actually one of the things um i had you do at that point was i think it was halfway through that shot we were uh trying to put together a teaser trailer and um there was one really pivotal shot i had to have but uh, a couple of people had 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 a go at it and not pulled it off yet and this was the golem like switch between uh panicking firing the wand and enjoying firing the wand and uh so ryan took over from that one and i can't remember you may have scrapped what was there because i don't think there was anything well worth- yeah, i think a couple people worked on it and then i just said well it wouldn't have bugged me if i had to work on those but i, I just said how about i just give it a go yeah, and I, I think i think actually you said you can just start from scratch on this one if you want and i said okay and I mean, if you give me that choice, then obviously I'm going to do it myself. But it was one of those ones that uh, both previous animators had not really gotten to grips with what the shot was about, and uh, and neither one of their interpretations had really been enough to run with. So it felt right. like it was easier to uh, went once a third animator approached it. It was like it was easy to just say, okay, start this from scratch and interpret it your way. And he just ran with it for miles and miles. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's shots in the film now. It just is really, really good. It was fun to work on too. I mean, it, it was it was a hard shot to work on. I mean, animation wise, I mean, it was it was hard to get you know a, a good a good bit of business going on that he wasn't that wasn't like confusing. That didn't you didn't know what the heck he was doing, um, and then it was just hard to, you know, acting wise to to get to pull a guy going psychotic and getting scared uh, in a ninety. I think it was like a hundred and ten frames. Yeah, he had to switch between panicky and sort of frantically evil, psychotic. But he yeah. had to do that switch several times in this hundred and ten frames. Yeah, well, in your 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 original intention for the shot was it was not one complete shot. It was going to be cut into a couple. Yeah, it was two pieces actually. That's right. right. We're just going to intercut. But you animated it all as one piece. Right. Yeah. And, and but I mean, keeping that that idea that you were gonna you were gonna 
cut this at some point in inside of this animation kind of made it a little bit easier to decide where I was going to do stuff. Like if he was going to lean in at the beginning and pull back in the middle or, I mean, I started asking questions like that at the beginning, but I, I once you, once I had that going on in my head, it was a little bit easier to, to decide where and when he was going to do stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was a it was a fun shot. I mean, you you got to, it's basically what Devil is. Yeah, it's the essence of Devil in one shot, which I thought was really. It is, yeah, because it's his absolute manicky panic, uh, flicking completely to his DNA um, instinct, all in one shot, and back again. Yeah, yeah. I guess I mean the the only challenging part for me on that. I mean. It was it's a t- challenging shot, but the the extremely challenging part was just the the technical stuff that I had to I had to get beyond like with the rig. Um, I, I've used uh, the setup machine rig many times before, so I, I'm familiar with how they work. It's just they don't work the same on every character that you put them in. So I, I was just my main thing was just can I get the poses that I wanted to get with this rig, and that was you know what am I going to have to pull here and push there to get this pose? So, I mean, I, I don't think it would work in any other angle than that one. <laughs> it's actually, the devil is probably one of the most challenging of the three to animate. Simply yeah, because it's got a huge head. And no neck. And practically no neck. Yes. Yeah, it's a cartoony character. Mm. And and that was is the challenge. I mean, it's... He's got such little tiny arms, and you want to get a good silhouette with him. But, I mean, his head itself makes him recognizable. With I mean, you could chop everything off, and his head would make him know. You, you know, you know who he was right away. Hmm. But it was just hard to get some, I don't know if you've seen the shot or not, but when he reaches out in front of him with the wand, and he's, you know, doing all that stuff with it, uh, it was hard to get, like, that, that C curve in him. Um, I mean, because you could bend his his torso but it was hard to get his like you'd still have him you know looking at the the hologram Mm. but it took away from that pose so you know it took just like leaning his head to the left a little and i mean it was it's all little things that really aren't that big of a deal it's just it's just uh you got to figure that stuff out you know as you're working on it i mean what i i guess i got some I watched a video the other day and I got some some good tips was just to go in with your shot that you've planned out and see if you can even hit some of the poses that you want to hit with the rig. Don't animate. Just go in and, and dink with the rig and see if you can get those poses. I wouldn't say let those technical challenges get you out of doing what you want to do with the character, but... If you can't hit that specific pose, you're going to have to find something that will work and try and keep it within, you know, your plan. I, I should have done that with, with that shot more. Uh, I Actually, after I started working on that shot, I went in and I started just dinking around with the rig, um, just seeing what kind of stuff I can do with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is They're pretty intense little rigs. Like, you have the jiggle deformers, the flame deformers, you got, you know, like, the different levels on the face, you know, and I think you put it the right way, where it's like, you just start with the basic shapes, and then when you're polishing and all that stuff, you can take on the, 
the the facial rig, the on face. Yeah, I'll take the opportunity to uh, explain that one a little bit more, just because that's the hole a few animators have kind of fallen into, which is that the rig has uh, three layers of facial controls. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and um, more often than not, they kind of they go and grab the red ones that are on the face straight away. But actually, the smart thing to do is to uh, start with the box controls, which is the third tab along on the right in the yeah. Anzonin layout panel thingy. And they they kind of generalize, like you can create an ooh shape with one slider. You can pull the corners of the mouth up, and that's actually controlling multiple um, sculpture things to just pull the, co the corners up. And that yeah. gets you really quickly into all the broad expressions you want to make. And in fact, yeah. we have a library of facial expressions that you can just click on a button, drives those controls. Then the idea is to then move to the um, tab that has the red controls to refine that. And I usually only have to do a, little, a few tweaks here and there with those red controls to just get exactly what you want. Like, for example, to make the pupils exactly where you want them on the eye relative to the camera and, and uh, to put in a few extra little quirks here and there. And then we actually have another layer of controls, some yellow ones that I don't think I've even had to use because the level of subtlety to that point is already really good. But you can use the yellow ones to like fix a few little problems if you need to or something like that. Yeah. Some people have sort of started on the red controls, which is directly on the face. They would be fine if the face machine had done the whole job, like 100% of the job fine. But actually what we found with um, almost all the rigs was that in some capacity or another, I've had to put fixes into them, blend shapes uh, to fix up broken corners or things that pass through each other wrong, that kind of stuff. And the only place I could implement those fixes was on the box controls. So by animating the box controls first, you've automatically got the fixes in place. Um, but by animating directly onto the face, you're bypassing the fixes. And it's just a bit of a shame because it means that when somebody, say, a good example is on death, when she closes her eyelids with the box controls, the eyes close and meet neatly. But if you try to do the same thing with the directly on the face controls, the red controls, they'll meet but there'll be these holes at the edges of her eyes and you'll, you won't be able to close them. So I'm trying to encourage the animators to use the box controls first because I can apply, even if we find more problems, I can apply the fixes to the box controls, but I can't apply the fixes to the other controls. Yeah, it's really good for just a, like a first pass as well, just to get your overall emotions out. And like if you're doing, you know, it's just, it's just a good way to, to get the general idea. Um, those box controls are pretty strong. I think I've only used the red controls a little bit, but the the shapes at the the box controls are, in my opinion, good. Yeah. So yeah, because I mean they've been thought through a lot. We we put a lot of effort and said, okay, what's the maximum extreme we want the face to go to, and we made those decisions with the box controls, and so yeah. it smooths in and out of all the good shapes, and sometimes we even have some via points. I you know we've decided here's one extreme is, looks good. Here's the other extreme. It looks good. But in the middle, we don't like this. So I've created situations where it actually deviates via another expression in order to get from A to B. And that happens without you even needing to know about it. But it's right. nicer. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, you're, you can get some good arcs like on the corners of the mouth and stuff with, with already with, with uh, the box controls and all that stuff. 
that's all you guys. Yeah. As long as the rig works, which it has, I, I'm completely happy. I, I found like there's a few issues here and there with some things on the face, but overall, I was like, this is pretty good. I mean, and I've used the setup stuff, and uh, most is it face machine that you used for that? Yeah. Okay. The 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 TSM rigs that I've used. Um, always had like their own facial rig set up and think with with the Anzavin stuff uh, using the face machine it, it's definitely good to have like a, a consistent way of doing things like you can have the Anzavin panel open and everything's right there and it's I'm used to working with character sets and all that stuff so I, I was pretty happy with that whole workflow and we and, made sure that the um, once we'd done the first one and it was working well that the other two characters did everything the same. So, you know, you grab a particular controller on one character, move it left and right, and you'll get the same expression on the other character, even though the values might be completely different. Right. Theoretically, it meant that if you pulled a slightly wonky left-eyed squint on one character, you could apply the same values on the box controls on the second character and get the same expression, like copying them. Right. Yeah, I, I like the pose controls, too. I'm not, I'm not too used to working with pre-built poses i guess and i i never really understood how people use like um cookie cutter poses but then i was like oh you know they can change like it's a good starting point it is know? yeah for me i just kind of go oh there you go a mouth closed i don't have to sit there it's pushing a bunch of sliders around it quickly got me to a mouth closed right this project was my first time ever using like uh, a pose library hmm. so i and i thought that was pretty cool just i was always confused as to like well, doesn't that make, like, every mm and every ooh and every ah look the same then, you know? And it just didn't click with me that, you know, you can move them after you set the pose, you know? it's that You don't have to use That was always uh, interesting. Yeah. It, it was just an eye-opener for me. I, and, you know, I'm still learning, too. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 12 years now and i that's what i love about it is i'm still learning new things there's new ways to do things now and that's for me that's the 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 interesting part of it all one of the things that the pose library did for us actually what people probably weren't aware of was that it was kind of predefining what i thought were acceptable facial expressions because up until that point, and certainly the first few shots we were getting from people, they would hit completely different characters. You'd look at it and go, that's not what I was imagining. But right. see how there's no reason they, they knew that that would look wrong. And so creating the pose library kind of was a way of predefining a bunch of poses that I'm saying, this is what he looks like when he smiles. This is what he looks like when he's surprised, that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, they, varied it. they varied it, but at the same time, didn't go so far that he broke out of character. Right. Mm -hmm. You you got a base of what you wanted. Once you had that, you could add your own little quirks to it. So I mean, you'd start with the base, the base shapes that you wanted, the base look, uh, like you said, a smile. But if you wanted to lift one corner, you know, and that thought process completely escaped me. I I mean, I used to talk a lot of crap about using pose libraries and i think it was just because i didn't understand what that was always something i just never understood and then uh, working on this project for some reason it just clicked it's mm -hmm. like oh holy crap i don't have to i can use that pose to start you know mm -hmm. and, and it never occurred to me that that's what people were doing it for so i have a feeling that still most of the animators probably don't use them much because there's a few steps in just setting it up to work the first time so right. I push it 
full on, but it's there if anyone is of the mindset to use it. I would recommend it. I mean, it, it speeds things up, number one. The box controls are great. It's super easy to use, but you don't have to fiddle with them. You just click on one button, and then you only have to move or adjust one of the box controls instead of, you know, manually setting them all. You, you get a good base, and then you can go from there. Mm. And I use them all the time now. So, I mean, I think they were awesome to put in there. And, again, the rig is, is really good. In the end, I think I did most of the face stuff. Uh, I tried to involve other riggers, and Devil was one of the characters that was more rigged by someone else than me. Um, I had to tweak a few things afterwards, though, and I realized there were a couple of things I should have caught earlier. So there were some slight flaws in the Devil rig, which I actually had to create a quite sophisticated workaround to fix how, uh, like, the head was pivoting in the wrong place. Yeah, I think I started on a sh mm. the, my first shot where that was happening. Yeah, where the, the, it was kind of spinning in the center of the head rather than mm -hmm. the top of the neck. Yep. Um, and so I had to come up with quite a, a complex way to fix that. But uh, it's actually still happening. It's just that I've got a workaround in there built into the rig that automatically corrects it. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... I think in the end, when it came to the faces, I, I did most of it myself because I'd done the first few tests myself and I could see it was a hard thing to train other people to do. A, a couple of other people had a go, but no one really um, took it the whole way. So most of the face stuff, I think I ended up doing myself. Maybe Devil was had a, a, a decent amount of it done by this other rigger uh, on the face. Uh, I forget which characters. I, I think I ended up having to completely redo the death one myself and Cupid... I forget. Yeah, Cupid, I probably just... I think by the time I got to Cupid, I'd seen how hard it was to try and get other people to do it the right way, so I just did it myself. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nobody likes to... Aren't there any riggers out there that like to help? Well, here's the funny thing. Uh, riggers are in high demand, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So at the end of the day, they, it doesn't uh, necessarily serve them all that well to work on another project because a lot of them can just get a job. Whereas uh, there's so many more animators on the market that it, it really, really serves an animator to showcase their abilities a lot and get a lot of experience before they apply for that job. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I would definitely try to pull as much as possible out of a project like this. It's like you're getting free feedback. I mean, people are now nowadays, which is on, I mean, it doesn't bug me. But nowadays people have to pay for you know, unless you have a whole bunch of friends, which a lot of animators uh, animators typically do, but you're getting, like, this is a great learning. You're getting feedback and learning from it and learning from other people, and you're getting to work on a project that's, in my opinion, fun. There wasn't anything like this happening, like, 10 years ago, you know? I mean, you didn't have, you had a mailing list and a phone, and you couldn't send people an animation you just felt like working on today and have them comment on it. it it's like, to me, this is like just an amazing opportunity. I mean, number one, I'm helping out a guy that I personally find cool and I like the project idea. And then number two, um, you know, I, I'm learning from it as well. So it's like a help-help thing. And a lot of people don't feel like they can do that, I don't think, where they can come in and critique no matter if you're just starting or if you've been doing it for a long time. Um, so that was what I liked is, like, this guy's helping me out. I can help him out, you know. That's, that's how I looked at it, you know. It's good experience. 
I'm going to animate regardless, but I mean, why not? It makes more sense to to want to work on a project that's actually going somewhere. Mm. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I always felt strongly about was that after a while, the only thing that I was seeing in people's reels was things from the 11 second club. So it all kinds of get, gets a little bit samey and the types of shots you saw were all the same. They were all great challenges. Uh, yeah, yeah. But even when I was working on my own show reel, I always felt like, you have to kind of do 50% something different. Right. You don't look like everybody else's showreel. Right. I started doing my own little tests that would push me in different ways. And I encourage everyone to come up with something entirely their, themselves for one shot, then maybe do an 11-second club um, piece for another shot, and then consider joining in with an, somebody else's project for, for another shot because you learn totally different things on each one. Yeah. I mean, it might be your own piece uh, is a very physical piece, the kind of thing that you would never get um, on a dialogue piece. Uh, another, Then you've got the 11 Second Club, um, which is really solid for giving you dialogue pieces, and they choose great stuff. And then the third example where you're working on somebody else's project is you. it teaches you to work towards the bigger vision of the entire project. Yeah, some production skills. Yeah, that's it. Understanding what the shots before and after yours are about and um, how to make that character fit in with other people's stuff. And it also kind of forces you to do stuff you'd never thought of because you're going to get a random shot, some sort of something. It's part of a bigger context, and it will frequently be something you never thought to do for your own personal reel. Uh, right. Sometimes it's not very interesting. Sometimes um, it's a piece of subtle acting on top of a bland piece of action or something. It could be, or it could be a complete opposite, where with where you've been given all this rigging and sets and all that kind of stuff that you would never have gotten on your own personal piece. So um, I tend to think that if you can do those three things for your reel and um, you keep doing them and coming back to those three different things then you'll have a broad, varied reel. And then, of course, somewhere along the line, you get production experience and you slip, slot that in too. Yep, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, the the thing that I I think is the the, the production experience that you're going to gain from, I mean, you, you have to, you can't just come into this project and start animating on Devil and just kind of, I, I mean, unless you want your you, you want to throw away the work, Um you have to come in and you have to actually watch the animatic. You have to, you know, you have to watch the the, the reel that you've, I think you're on version 60. 60 now. 60? Yeah. I watch that constantly. Like, if I, even be, like, if I take, like, right now I haven't worked on it for maybe, like, a month, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, just got my own life happening. Like, when I was working on it constantly... Uh, and I will be again, just so you know, Mike. Uh, um, I I make sure, like when I was working, I would watch the animatic every morning. Like I I just not because I wasn't clear on where it was going. I wasn't clear. Like I just did that because if I watched it through, maybe something would. It's like the whole pose thing. It just clicks. Maybe something would just click. You know the pose like. Maybe it would uh, uh, make me completely change my mind, which isn't the greatest, but maybe it would just give me a little insight as to what I could have the character do during this little bit instead of, you know, something else. I mean, it it just shows you a lot of, especially if people don't have production experience, if they're just coming 
mm. from a, a personal if they're self-taught. I, I don't know. I don't know how animation mentor teaches and or anything like that. All I can speak about is my own experiences. But I, I kind of guessed from the get-go that the, some of the best team members we were going to get were the ones that already had a certain amount of production experience and wanted to take themselves to the next level because that's where I saw myself. Right. Um, so and and I was absolutely right in that the people with strong animation skills um, and a certain amount of production experience have been uh, the most valuable people to the project, like Ryan, because they can they 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 understand that there's certain things they're going to have to do to assist other people. They understand that they're going to have to take over shots from other people, and they'll do things with the understanding of setting it up so that other people can work from that without having any serious problems with it. Right. But equally, we get probably for every one animator we get that like that, we probably get three, four, five others who have no production experience. And and it's a bit of a gamble then for me because I, I tend to uh, be picky about who we do actually take on. Um, I'll accept, I'll let anybody join the website that looks like they can bring something to the project. But at the end of the day, I won't always assign a shot to somebody if I don't think they're ca capable of um, taking it through to completion. Mm -hmm. But we still do get a number of people who haven't actually got production experience. And maybe 50-50, 50 percent of those people start and then they might get frustrated with the process because they have never had any production experience and they're not used to being critiqued or um, working with the tools the way that we've set them up. And then there'll be the other 50% of it, people who are like, oh, this is great. I'm learning so much stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that, that really, I mean, even if you do have production experience, I, you're going to have something to learn on every project. Hmm. I think it's valuable to everybody, you know. I mean, just for the experience, this is really my first online collaboration with a whole bunch of different people mm. and i think I, I expressed to you like how are you going to manage uh the animation at the very beginning i was like how are you going to get people to all be on the same page and not actually have them in one room while you're talking to them you know i mean because it's much respect to you that would like be extremely difficult to to get people to be on board of you know like they need to understand like this shot that you're working on may not be that great you know this this whole awesome shot it might just be something really simple but it's going to it's going to help progress the story mm. you know the, the your shot is not meant to be the best shot in the short you know what i mean yeah uh, that's that's where i think maybe a lot of the problem is is people need need that bigger picture understanding you know, just seeing where where their shot fits into the short. Mm. Um, is it supposed to be super rad, or is it supposed to be like ultra toned down? And one of the f most common things, of course, is that when somebody comes, their motivation is to get a shot for their showreel. So right. they want the best shot that's going to get them that next job. Yeah. And it does take a certain amount of um, experience to realize that they're not all that shot. They're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've made designed the entire project to provide as many of those types of shots as possible. Right. That's why it's very. Uh, there's a lot of facial performance stuff and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, there's you know a good third of the shots are not the most exciting shot in your reel. Yeah, they're not a pivotal shot. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're they're supporting shots. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that would probably be the biggest, the first thing that I would think that people need to to keep in mind is like, sure, you're you're coming in and you want to have something super awesome to put on your show reel, but. Uh, I think, like, when I was at SIGGRAPH, which I'm sorry I didn't get to meet you, Mike. Yeah, I missed um, <laughs> I was talking to, I mean, I was surrounded by animators, which was awesome. But, like, I think one of them said, like, one of the best shots they ever saw was was a shot with barely anything happening. And I was like, you know, and I think it was actually at the one of the Toy Story talks, Toy Story 3 talks, like, they were talking about how to animate Barbie or something like that, and uh, I think it was one girl animator to a guy animator or something said, you know, quit overacting, you know, like quit making her bring her hand up to her chest every every time she, you know, puts a, puts an emphasis on a word or something like that. Mm. I think like I'm not saying anything verbatim here, so my brain isn't that good. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think she said something like, like one of the best shots that she saw with the character, like was barely anything happening. Like it was all facial, but I no business whatsoever. No, to her that felt like it was the most true to the character. So I mean, even if you may think that it's not like this ultra awesome shot, you can still make it ultra awesome. You know what I mean? It's like what what you put into it is what you'll get back. I guess. One of the things that uh, is really obvious as well is that when you're given a shot with something really cool happening, it's actually easier to do it because the, the storyboard just spells out exactly what you have to do practically with the timing and the poses that hold your bank. But when you're given a shot where all you're told is he's thinking this, mm-hmm. he could do this, this or this, but it's up to you. You have to be a lot stronger animator to really sell that. And yeah. Those sorts of shots are a real challenge. They will push you a lot because if you can make that character still look alive, still look like they're really thinking. Yeah, getting into the psyche of yeah. the character, you know, it's that's a challenge. That's one of the hardest things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you watch any of the special features on any of the DVDs, uh, you know, you'll see that a lot where if an uh, animator gets an emotional shot, they're physically drained. You know, I mean, it's like. And, and until you get one of those shots, you won't understand that. I mean, you, it's just like, it's one of those things where you work on a shot that's super emotional, I guess, and, and, and less broad. It, it influences the way you think. Yeah, yeah. I often found that um, because you spend so long on one shot, if that shot is a sad shot, it starts draining you because you have to be sad the whole time you're doing <laughs> you're, you're pulling that expression in the mirror. You're listening yeah. to sad music, you know. Uh, yes. Or when you do a frantic shot, it's the other way around. Actually, one of the, the classic cases is when I was doing frantic shots, I used to listen to track eight of The Rock. <laughs> it's about the fastest... I, I listen to soundtracks, but it's about the Me fastest-paced Hans Zimmer tune you can imagine. Um, combine that with a bit of caffeine, and basically your heart <laughs> is going like ten to the dozen while you're animating. Yeah. <laughs> You, I yeah. think I could have done that for much longer. I would have had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, if you have any super emotional so- shots, it'd be great if you could save them to like January for me. <laughs> it's really gloomy up here in the north around that okay. time. But yeah, I, I get the same way. Like it, it definitely affects how I am during that day, you know, or 
even if it's a day where I'm like, you know, it's a super exciting shot or in, and the character is super excited, uh, I'll, I won't be super excited afterwards. I'll just be like, I need a nap. You know, <laughs> I've, been, <laughs> I've been running around all day, you know, but then like you said, it can take like a great day and yeah. completely screw it up. You know what I mean? It's like, I had to work on one of the work, uh, technically worst shots of my life, but emotionally one of the worst shots of my life today. And it took what was great. going to be a great Thursday, which is, I don't know if that can happen, but it was going to, it took a great day and completely crapped it for me. (laughs) It's like, I've had that happen so many times. It's not funny. And there's days where I'm just like, I, I need to avoid people just because my attitude is not where it should be. You know I mean? It's like, I have, I, I want to be nice to you, but you don't understand. I had to make this little bug move for, and he was really pissed off. And I'm not mad at you, but I'm gonna, I'm just in that frame of mind, you know, where it's like, there's nothing that upset me, but I am upset. So please move along. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, it's definitely a challenging, yeah, challenging career choice. You know, I mean, you, you gotta be, you got to find balance somewhere. Mm. I guess we're going to have to uh, wrap up soon. Did you have any questions or anything else on your list? Uh, um, how about for the new people that are coming on board? What kind of animate? What style of animation are you looking for? I mean, they can go through and watch what the, what's already in there, mm. uh, and I think it gives you a pretty clear idea. But um, I would say, are you looking for like? You're not looking for like Tex Avery stuff. You're not looking for Chuck Jones stuff. Well, I don't mind a bit. I, I would like to get a little bit more. Tex Avery-esque in some parts of it. Um, I just made I, a tingle go up my spine. <laughs> I, uh, I tend to... There just aren't a huge number of opportunities for that, but I think Cupid has a few moments where he can be a bit like that. I have to admit, I have, I'm a sort of a, a mid-middle-of-the-road cartoony to realistic animator. One of the things I frequently get is that a lot of people applying do this complete stop-start style animation where they literally hit a pose and it stops dead. And then they hit a pose and it stops dead. And sometimes they do it so well that I think, okay, I can probably encourage them to go a little further and put in a moving hold, that sort of thing. But sometimes and some animators are completely stuck in that way of animating. Because uh, what I've been looking for really is um, just enough realism that if I grab an object and then I hold it up in front of me, there's nothing there that's going to make that hand stay in space 100%. It's going to okay. drift a little bit. Muscles in here are going to ease into place. It'll turn a little bit. It'll, it does what we call a moving hold. Yep. And it seems like there's an awful lot of people trying to aim for um, the presto style of animation. It's not even presto. I mean, it's been happening for years in 2D animation, especially in TV animation. But for some reason, recently, it's being rekindled because of uh, the work that was done in Presto that was so impressive. There were moving holds in there. but And there are moving holds, yeah. But there are also a lot of overshoot and bounce back and eases in and eases out. Um, and some people are kind of missing those subtleties and only putting in, like, here's my pose, three yeah. frames later, here's a new pose, and there was no overshoot and back yeah. to it and there was no moving hold. And that's one of the things I'm finding is the most challenging thing. I'm looking through a lot of reels, and I, and I have to kind of figure out, is this guy going to be capable if I push him a bit harder in this direction? 
And maybe this guy, I think he's not going to be capable because that's the only thing he's doing or something like that. So it's right. it's tricky, but that's the the biggest divide I'm currently finding. Yeah, I, I and I I agree. I mean, I think uh, I'm I'm essentially self-taught mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna say I taught myself I think other people taught me I guess um, I just uh, I didn't do any f- like formal animation training like I said I went to college and the animation and training in there was limited but uh, it, it was up to me to, to pursue it a little further but um, the thing is is it's getting out of that pose to pose feeling is, is a challenge when you're first when, when I was first starting out, I could get it, like you said, I could get it from pose A to point B real easy, you know. But it was the time, different timing on arms, different timing on, uh, say, an eyebrow or, you know, su- subtle little things like that for me was getting it out of the pose to pose feeling was, was a challenge. Like I said, I was animating at Animation Factory. Everything was based on a pose, you know. I mean, you had 12 frames. You had to do it that way. And then when I started animating longer shots um it was really hard for me to get rid of that boom lock boom lock type of feeling you know it's like Mm. and it was hard to to get uh the switch up for timing and things like that it's you know one of the, the things that i still struggle with um the most is simply say you've got a character walks up to screen and says something and uses one hand to gesture do you know the hardest part in that shot it's not the face it's not the hand it's the other hand. It's not really got anything to do. Yeah. It's um, how much overlap do I give it? How much yeah. do I keep it still? How much does it look like the IK is taking over at this point? Does Has it frozen? Is it moving too much? And and I'll spend ages on the other hand trying yeah. to do 10 different versions because I can't make up my mind what is the best way to just keep it looking not distracting, but natural. Right. Yeah, that's that's that is a good point. I mean, it's usually the stuff that isn't doing the business that makes it uh, the challenge. You know, mm. you know, it's almost like Talladega Nights. Uh, I don't know what to do with my hands because I've always been more concerned about my acting. I guess in the last six or seven years, my acting has been more my focus. I guess. Um, so I, I started learning more about like traditional acting i have no no hopes of ever being one but um just learning about how they handle stuff like that because they i mean they do put some thought into that there's there's things like leaking and those are all acting terms that really don't have anything to do with animation but it it just kind of it informs you you know as to why certain things are done and certain choices are made and and what to avoid type of thing. And now I think studying or just reading, because I'm not going to like workshops or anything like that, about acting itself has been the biggest help for me. And um, I still question some of my acting choices, but uh, I mean, it's, I think that's going to always happen. But it's, it's one of those things where it, it stops being less of keyframes and more of what am I going to do with that you know like you just said you you have a hand that isn't a part of the shot has no you know you could probably leave it still and in 2d that would that would pass but nowadays with you know pixar dreamworks and all those guys pushing the bar they expect that you know and and that's kind of why i like things like 
but I don't know how to pronounce it. Maybe it's Gobelins and things like that. Uh, the the French school. Yeah. But I like their work because they're not doing that. What is considered mainstream? I you know animation. You're, you're seeing some really different styles. You know, I mean, they're they're not like the realism that you get at Pixar or the stylized realism that you get at Pixar. It's not like super, super Tex Avery or Chuck Jones-ish, you know, but it, it's got a, a nice mixture of both of those where you're seeing the follow-through and the overlap and things like that, but things are really tight, you know? I mean, it's like... And they sometimes they'll leave something still, and they're they're doing it so well that you're not even worried about that, you know? I'm, it, it, I, I'm not one of those people that likes to just work in one certain way and make it like a cookie cutter experience. You know, I, I like to, uh, you know, like part of the fun is the, 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 the trying of new things and the challenge. I mean, that, that for me is why I'm into this is just trying new things, learning new things, meeting cool people and progressing, you know, and getting better. And that's what we're all after. I hope. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, we better probably wrap this up. Yeah, we meant to wrap it up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to um, tell everybody where they can find your work? Uh, yeah, you can go to HaganAnimation.com. It's H-A-G-E-N. And email me. Or the contact uh, section there goes right into my email box. And let me know what you think of my work, and uh, I'll do the same. If you ask, I'm more than willing to return favors. So if you have something to say about my work, uh, anything at all, you cannot hurt my feelings. Uh, (laughs) So go ahead and go for it. Rip into it. I'm always looking to get better. And I know I have a lot of room to improve. So um, feel free. And I'm not not like a jerk. So (laughs) I I won't email you and tell you to shut up or anything. Well, that, that's been really interesting. Thank you, Ryan. My pleasure, Mike. I guess we'll wrap it up there, then. Thank you Sounds very good. much. No problem. Devils, angels, and-